Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live or connect with us on Facebook. It is an honor to have uh, one, of our, uh, one of our very own, our sons of the house. And I, I hope this is appropriate to be able to say this is one of uh, our sons in whom I'm well pleased and uh, grateful. And uh, Pastor Mike's been on our team for uh, a couple years now, but uh, he's been a part of this house almost all of his life. And so uh, he's going to come and share the word. And I hope you'll lean in because it's a great build from where we were last week to continue. Because how many know that God has more? Come on, if you, you believe God has more for us today, if you believe that, why don't you just do, put your hands together and thanks as Pastor Mike comes to share the word with us this morning. Good morning, Faith Fam. How are you guys? Good, great. I'm glad you're here this morning. Stay there, don't you go anywhere. <laughs> before, we get, before we get started in the word, I have a confession to make to you guys. And it's an easy one, and I hope my life reflects this, but it's this, I love our church. I love our church, and I love this house. Is anybody with me? Like, I love this place. God's done so much through my life, and he's shown me so much of himself here. There is a picture that my parents have of them on their wedding day, and they got married on December 24th, 1997, here, down front here. It doesn't even look like the same place. The carpets were pink. The walls were white. Look back, and it's like, whoa. <laughs> hey, whatever reaches people, right? It's just an appearance. And uh, in that photo, I was six months old, and you guys haven't been able to get rid of me since. And I don't plan to go anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> I love this house. I love you guys. I love the team of people who God has brought alongside of us to advance the gospel. And I also love this. I love our pastor. Would you guys help me show honor to our pastor this morning? One of the things that I want to mark my life is honor. My dad instilled it to me ever since I was probably this tall before I could speak. That honor is essential. And you see, anywhere we go in life, we can't build, we can't move forward unless we walk with honor. See, if we refuse the honor, it's like putting a roadblock in our own way, keeping ourselves out of the place God wants us to go. So for that, man, I honor you. Thank God for you. Thank you for showing me that the most important place of ministry is not on a platform and it's not on a stage but it's in our own home to lead our family well. So thank you. Thank you. We live in a day and age where it's easy to become a public figure, but also be a private failure. And your integrity and heart before God will never allow you to go there. So thank you. Thank you. And it's so fitting to learn and to glean from you just the heart of a father and what it means to minister to a family as Lindsay and I begin to start our own family this July we are welcoming our first. You see, y'all sound excited, but I don't really know what to expect yet. <laughs> it's like, I get excited, then I remember that it's going to be my child, and I think about my childhood, and I'm like, 
oh boy, I don't, I don't know what to expect. <laughs> but I'm excited for what God does and what he's gonna do and to raise up the next generation. It's so cool to be a part of. In fact, one of the things that I wanna talk to you guys about this morning is God's ability to provide. One of the things I love reading about throughout scripture that God is consistent to do is to bring children to people who couldn't have any. And it's so cool how time and time again, he does this and he provides for people who could not provide for themselves. And if that's you and you're in this season of life of waiting for God to provide and believing for a child, that's not our story, but our heart is with you. Our prayers are with you. We're praying for you consistently. And this is what we also see from the life of Abraham as well. Abraham is a man who the Bible describes as being the father of faith. Abraham is the one that God shows up to. And when Abraham is 75 years old, God shows up to him and tells him, you're gonna have descendants who are gonna bless every nation of the earth. Hold up. Did y'all catch the part where he was 75? Anybody have a kid when they're 75? If that's you, the Lord bless you and keep you. That's incredible. Abraham is 75 years old and God steps in and says, I'm gonna give you a child. He said, and this child isn't just gonna be your child. He's gonna bless every nation of the earth that through him, this plan and this hope of God would unravel. And then here's what God does. He holds off for 25 years to bring this promise to fruition. Ooh. Abraham gets the promise when he's 25, but he, or when he's 75, but he doesn't receive the promise when he's 75. He receives it when he's 100 years old. Sarah was 90 years old when she gave birth to Isaac. God can do something, that's incredible. And you see, so this child grows up and it's good and then God shows up to Abraham one day concerning this child and this is where we're gonna pick up the story at in Genesis 22 is where we're gonna read from. If you're ready for the word, say let's go. If you're not, well, I think it's on the screen, there we go. <laughs> These are the jokes, people. <laughs> Genesis 22, starting in verse one, it reads, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac. I love how God reaffirms it, like you're not getting out of this. Your son, yes, Isaac, he's the one. You know how like we bargain with God, like, my son, you mean Ishmael, right? Like the one that I tried to make happen, so he slept with his wife's servant to make it happen. He said, no, 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 your real son, Isaac, your true son, who came from Sarah, he says, take him, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. He says, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early, he saddled his donkey, and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son. 
Abraham replied, we have the fire in the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Isaac was no dummy. He said, God, dad, I know how this works. We got half of it, but we don't have it all yet. And look at what Abraham replies. He says, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering. So the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place God told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son, Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its thorns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Aren't you glad we serve a God who doesn't just look after us, who doesn't just see us from a distance, but is constant to provide for us every step of the journey along the way? Amen. Let's take a moment and pray for this word. God, we thank you for your word that you've given. God, we thank you that your word is alive and active. God, I ask that your word would pierce our heart this morning. Would it minister to exactly the place you want to speak to? We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. It's such an interesting passage of scripture, to say the least. We see Abraham who has been believing for this son for so many years. For 25 years of his life, he's been waiting, praying, believing, God, you're gonna make it happen somehow. And then God shows up and he gives them Isaac But then he comes to a moment where God wants to test Abraham's faith. Are you a good test taker? Serious question, are you? (laughs) She says, she's shaking her head, no, not me. You see, when I think about Abraham testing God's faith, it reminds me of Lindsay and I whenever we were in high school. We had this anatomy class together. In fact, I only took the anatomy class because she took the anatomy class. (laughs) And so we're in this together, and there was only one, so I knew it had to be with her. And we have this class together, and what's interesting is that Lindsay had to study so hard in school. Now, she's a smart girl. She's gifted, but when it comes to tests, she had to study. Dig through the material, got to know what's on the test, got to be prepared, got to be ready for it. If there's a test, I got to know what's going on. So she would study for hours, do her due diligence. There was her, and then there was me. (laughs) Now, Lindsay and I, we have subtle differences, and test-taking is definitely one of them. We'd walk into class, and she'd be like, are you ready for the test? There's a test today? (laughs) Students do good in school. (laughs) She says, you ready for a test? And I'm like, I didn't know there was a test today. Because like, for me, studying was never something 
that I wanted to spend hours on doing. Like, I want to enjoy my evenings. I want to have fun. I want to do what I want to do. I want to study. And it's interesting. I have, I love to study scripture now, but it's just how God works. And so here's me who wouldn't study at all. And then we would take the same exact test and she would get so frustrated because we'd get the same grade. And then there's her who spent hours on it trying to figure it out and be prepared. And then there's me who waltzes on into the class and was like, oh yeah, test, let's go. And it's interesting how God comes to Abraham and he brings a test, but he doesn't just test what Abraham knows. See, there's a difference between testing what you know and what you believe. Because I can know as much anatomy as I gotta know for that moment, but looking back, I don't remember any of it. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Pegg, if you're watching from home somewhere. <laughs> I don't remember any of it. But there's a difference between testing what you know and testing what you believe. And God steps into Abraham's life and he doesn't just test his biblical knowledge, he tests the faith that he has to walk out. See, this is also where Lindsay and I differ. She's a better test of character than I am. I'm a better test of knowledge than she is. We balance each other out. There's one day we are driving around town and someone decided to test us in the car. And so we're up at the shopping center here by McDonald's and Subway. And so we're leaving the shopping center and we're going through the light, going straight down Walnut Hill Road. And I got a question. Does green mean go? So green means you got the right of way if you're going straight, right? Okay, I thought so. Just making sure. Because I'm the type of person, green means go. Don't tempt me. I'll hit you. <laughs> I'm kidding. Lindsay was driving, and so we're going through the light, and there's this little Nissan who I can't see into the car, but they swerve like halfway into our lane and lay on the horn. And they stop there, and I'm like, what's this car doing? They're trying to make a left to go that way. On Morgantown Road, we're trying to go straight. And then we get beside this car, and I look up, only to lo and behold find our pastor and his daughter in the car, smiling and waving, like, I gotcha. <laughs> oh, you got me, all right. <laughs> so then, uh, I don't remember if it was a phone call or maybe it was the next day. He, uh, we were talking about it. He says, you passed the test. What? Thought you were just a bad driver. He goes, no, you passed the test. <laughs> he said, you didn't give me the finger? You didn't yell at me? You didn't swear at me? <laughs> Congratulations, this is how you vet your people. <laughs> so I say that to say, he drives a Kia Optima. If it cuts you off, watch out. <laughs> you know, usually people make it into your sermons. Now you're making them into <laughs> He says, you passed the test. Because you see, in that moment, it's not just what you know, it's what you believe. It's what you believe that conducts how you behave and walk out this thing called life. And God shows up to Abraham and he doesn't just test what he knows, he tests what he believes. God, I don't always like when you test what we believe. God, I don't always like when you step in 
and ask me and test me and want to make me go deeper. I don't always like it. He tests the belief that Abraham has. And it's interesting because here's what Abraham does and here's how Abraham walks with a heart after God. As they're going up the mountain, he takes his son and they're walking up together and his son says to him, God, or dad, we've got the, we've got the fire. We've got the wood. Where's the sacrifice at? And the father responds and he says, God will provide the sacrifice. He says, God will provide. And I love that Abraham didn't just get caught up in what God did for him. He was still caught up in who God was to him. God is my provider. Boy, I've waited a hundred years for you to step on this scene. And you came only at the provision and direction of God. So if God asks for you back, I know he'll make a way some other way. Abraham says this. He says, the Bible says that Abraham's body was as good as dead whenever Isaac came forth. And I wonder, if did Abraham, did you have the kind of faith that said you brought this boy out of something dead already? So if you ask me to give him back to the grave, God, you'll pick him up from something dead again. Because that's who you are. And it sounds weird and it sounds like a deranged story, but it serves such a great purpose. Because it's not about just that time in that moment. It's about showing a picture and a reflection of Jesus who was still to come. You see, the Old Testament, we see the fall of man and we see God start to redeem them. We see God begin his redemptive plan that starts with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who becomes Israel, who has 12 sons, who become 12 tribes, and through them, God brings the law. Green means go. That's part of the law. Don't get in the way. God brings the law to them. And, but here's what the law did. The law showed that we're never enough to fulfill it. As many rules as we can follow and as much as we can get it right, we still fall short of the law. Y'all read through Leviticus. There are so many things in there. We can't keep all of it. We were never made to, so God gives the law, and the law only points to our humanity and our inability to complete it. There is something more that has to be required. So in the Old Testament brings the law, the New Testament brings the fulfillment of the law, who is Jesus. John says this in his gospel. He says that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And he says, this word is the light of all mankind who stepped in and became flesh and dwelt among us. In this light, this word would become a picture and would be the thing that would unite, reunite us with God again. And you see, the New Testament, Jesus is the light. The Old Testament stands in the way of the light. What stands in the way of the light? You get a shadow. So this scripture is really foreshadowing a picture of Jesus who is still to come. Because you see, God's not just asking Abraham to do something crazy. God is giving us a glimpse of his goodness and his mercy. It's the story of, yes, a father who would end up giving his only son, that whoever believed in him would have life and have it abundantly. It's the picture of a son who would go and willingly take up the wood for his sacrifice and walk up his own mountain one day and would there willingly lay himself down to give everything that we ourselves couldn't give to become what we couldn't. You see, it's not just a picture of Abraham and Isaac, it's a picture of the father and his son who would eventually come in and reunite us with God. 
That's the gist of the story, but there's something that happens after the story that catches my heart and draws me closer to who Jesus is. We see this, it's not about just that place, it's really about Jesus, right? That's what we've established. But Abraham does this. Abraham says afterwards, he says, he named that place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will see to it. And later on, as God gives the revelation to Moses and he writes it down, Moses even says, to this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. What do you need God to provide in your life? What do you need him to step in and do? What areas do you need to give and receive his grace? What areas do you need to learn who he is? What areas do you need God to provide? And it's interesting that here's what we see through this passage. Provision isn't just tied to a place, it's tied to a person. God is the one who provides on the mountain. It's not about just going to a point in time, it's about going to a person. So it poses the question to me and it makes me think, Jesus, how can I know you on the mountain? Jesus, how can I know you on the mountain? How can I understand the depth of who you are? Because guys, I don't wanna just get caught up in part of the story. Jesus, I want you to reveal everything that you are. I wanna see your goodness, I wanna see new revelation, I wanna see you change hearts and do incredible things. Jesus, I wanna see all of you. How do we see Jesus in that place? Fuller, deeper, clearer, more expectant than we ever have before. I wanna speak to you guys for a few moments from this title, Mountains and Valleys in the Space in Between. Mountains and Valleys in the Space in Between. If we're gonna see Jesus on the mountain to know him the way that Abraham knew him, here's what it requires requires us to realize that life is not all mountains and valleys. For so long, I always thought that everything was either all good or all bad. Anyone with me? Like when life's good, it's great, and when it's bad, it's bad. Like if I'm having a good day, call me up, let's get lunch, we'll hang out. But if it's bad, I don't like, I might be a bear. We're real familiar with mountains and valleys. We're familiar with the mountain moments of life when everything is good, when the kids finally get along, when one kid's not trying to kill the other kid, when it's good and it's great and you're chilling with God, it's like, this is wonderful. We know the mountain moments. We're familiar with them. And then we also know the depth and the despair of the valleys as well. Where God, I need you like I've never needed you before. Where God, I need you to step into this midst because if you don't, I don't know how to move forward in this thing called life. We know both extremes, but what God has been showing me and I wanna show you is that there's a place in between the two where our faith grows, where God establishes us and where he sets us on a course to see him clearer and deeper and greater. There's a place in the middle and the place in the middle is this. It's a plateau. Now, are there any geologists in the room? No? Okay, good. We can proceed. No, <laughs> There's a place in the middle called a plateau where, it's, where you're not in the valley, you're not in the depths, you're not in the despair, you're not struggling to get by, but you're not really on the mountain receiving new revelation and experiencing God again. You're kind of in the middle on the flat ground. 
How do you conduct yourself when life is just like kind of flat? Like it's kind of good, it's kind of bad. Like I'm just, not a whole lot going on. I'm just here, I'm chilling here. This is good. It's a necessary part. And I believe even that Psalms 40 gives us a glimpse of this part in life. David writes and he says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair. Has God lifted you out of the pit of despair? Yes, no, maybe, so, some days. God lifted me out of the pit of despair, he said. And look where he set him. He says, and he set my feet on solid ground. I came out of the pit, out of the mud, out of the mire, and he set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along, the psalmist said. It's interesting, he didn't get set on the mountain. He got sat on the solid ground. He says, I can stand here. It's a plateau, the place that is solid, the place where you get your feeding, the place where it sets you up to either see God like never before or to go back to where you've been. You see, there is a plateau around us locally here, and here's what I learned. There's a plateau, and it's called this. It's called the Allegheny Plateau. Look it up in your free time if you wanna take a look at it, but it's a landform that spreads across even eastern Ohio and western PA, up around and even into parts of New York. It's a landform called the Allegheny Plateau, and where we are, as we get closer to the Appalachian Mountains, we're kind of on the edge of it, as we get closer to the mountain range that goes through. And what's interesting is that this plateau isn't just flat. Some of y'all are like, I've driven through Pittsburgh, it is not flat anywhere around there. Like they got tunnels through hills, like that's not flat. But the plateau that's around us isn't just a flat plateau, it's called, y'all ready for this? You didn't know you were coming for a history lesson today. It's called a dissected plateau. You don't know what that means? I didn't either, it's okay, I'll tell you. A dissected plateau is an area that once used to be all flat. At one point in history, it would have been all flat the same way. But then what happens is as water moves and ice melts and things freeze and it moves, as erosion happens, the place that once used to be all flat now has hills, has some valleys, has some low ground, has some high ground. And here's the interesting thing that I read about it. A dissected plateau will even form hills and mountain-like peaks that look like a mountain, but really aren't. And whenever I read that, felt like the Lord was showing me in that moment, there are people who have came out of the low ground and they've gone up to the hill, they've gone up to the peak that looks like the mountain and they think they're at the top, but it's really the place they were supposed to be all along. Because this is what sin does to our life at one time in the garden. We would have been on level ground with God. We would have been with him to know him, to experience him deeply. And sin comes along and it erodes that relationship we have and it takes us down to the valley and it sets us low in the mud and the mire. But thank God that we don't stay there. He picks us back up and sets us on solid ground. And he sets us on the hill in the peak of the plateau. 
And here's the question that I want to pose. Do you think we've ever mistaken the plateau as the peak? And instead of using it as a baseline to launch us into what God has for us, we use it as a point to say, oh God, look what you've done. I'm good now. Do we use it as a place of, instead of seeing God to know and to run after him deeper, we use it as a place of, oh, God save me, check. Do we use it as a place of, oh, I've experienced Jesus, check. No, I'm good, I went to church already. No, I'm saved, y'all, I went to church and I served, I'm good for like a whole month now. What I wanna say to us today, church, is let's not stop at one thing. Let's experience everything God has for us. Because when God picks us out of the valley and sets us on solid ground, that's not the peak. That's not abundance. That's the baseline for what God wants to do in your life. From here, we only should know him deeper. From here, we should only know him greater. From here, we should see him be able to work in and through our life like only he can do. It's the baseline. Church, there's more that God has for you. Don't stop at salvation or getting out of your addiction or getting out of your dysfunction. That's the start of it, but that's not all of it. God created you to, your mind to be healed. God created your body not to deal with addiction. God created your relationship to be with him. That's the start. And I fear that sometimes we get caught up at the baseline and make it all about that place instead of all about Jesus. I love what Abraham does because Abraham doesn't make his relationship with God about a mountain. He makes it about the person. You see, here's what happens. If we make it all about the moment and the event, we will end up naming God after the event instead of naming the event after God. Because Abraham experiences God on the mountain and what he does, he doesn't say, God, you're a mountain. God, you're that place. God, you met with me here. That's what Jacob does when he comes to Bethel. He names the place after God and says, God, you're here. But God's not just there. God is not just the God who freed you from addiction. He's the God who stepped into it with you and is still walking with you. Abraham named the place after God to say, oh God, you are good. That's who you are. What God's done in your life isn't a reflection of that moment in time. It's a reflection of Jesus to step into your midst. And there is more that God has for you. There's more, there's more. Because Jesus said, I come that you would have life and have it abundantly. What's abundant life look like? What's abundant life look like to you? The Bible shows us a picture of Jesus. And if Jesus, think about it, if Jesus walks with his own abundant life, look at what he does. He walks not to just receive something for himself, but to give healing to give signs, to give wonders, to point people around him to who God is. Jesus walks in abundance. Dude turned a whole bunch of water into a whole bunch of wine. Some of y'all are like, that looks like abundance to me. <laughs> Everywhere he goes, it flows from within him. He is abundance. Abundance isn't a moment or a point in time. Abundance is who Jesus is. And that's what we should get caught up in don't stay at the starting point. Don't stay at the starting point. A few years back, 
Can I tell you all a story? Yes? No? Maybe y'all are quiet today. Can I tell you a story? Y'all can give feedback. Like, it's okay. It's good. We chilling. A few years back, I was at the wise old age of 17. <laughs> oh boy, what comes next? <laughs> what if some of your 17-year-olds did? This 17-year-old went and got his motorcycle license. There were certain moments in life like I just couldn't wait to do. You know, grow up, get your car, get a license, get married, maybe have a kid. One of them for me was, I wanna get a motorcycle license. And I did. And for some reason, my parents let me. <laughs> so at 17, I go and I take my motorcycle course, and you have to go this safety course, and it makes it easier to get your license. And so what you do is you go and you sit in a classroom for two nights, and you study, and you learn the rules of the road and how you drive, because it's different from a vehicle. And then you spend two days on the driving course. And we're on this driving course that's probably the size of like our lower parking lot down here. And we're driving around and you gotta do figure eights and you gotta speed up and go as fast as you can then slam the brakes and stop. The look, when we were doing it, there was one person who flew over the handlebars when they tried to stop. <laughs> they failed. <laughs> it's like an immediate failure. The, the instructor was like, you can, just, you can go home now. <laughs> Try again next year. But you know how there are like certain disclaimers on things? Well, our instructor, she's teaching us and she had been experienced on the road and had done this for many years and had instructed a lot of students. And she gives us this instruction that while on the course, you do not shift above second gear. There are people around. You don't need to go 65 and 40 feet, even if you can. She says, you stay in second gear and you don't go above. But then she makes the note to tell us, but after you leave here, you can shift through all your gears. I'm like, well, yeah. It's kind of given, isn't it? Like you would think, like, how are you just gonna drive down the highway in second gear? It's like the disclaimer that someone throws on the bottle and you're like, who did that? Attention toaster, don't put it in a bathtub. You're like, who did that? <laughs> that you had to, there were just some things. And I'm like, who? And she goes on to tell the story how there was a, young lady who came through the safety course, she wanted to get a bike, she wanted to save on gas and commute to work. And she tells us the story how they went through the course, they passed the course, and, but they kept in contact afterwards. And she ran into her one day and they're talking and she says, oh, like, by the way, I had to get a new motorcycle. It's like, you had to? What happened? She goes, oh, my last one blew up. Wait a minute, that was only a few years old. Like, Surely it could not have just blown up. She goes, oh, well, I had to run it really hard and every time I drove down the highway, it was just at extremely high RPMs all the time. And the instructor asked her the question, well, did you shift as high as you could go? And the lady's like, what do you mean? She said, you told us to never shift out of second gear. The lady says, you, never, you told us to never shift out of second gear. She said, so I always stayed in it. She said, I always stayed in it. And the instructor's like, no, that was for the starting point. That wasn't for all of your life. I gave you something to start. I didn't give you something forever. There comes a moment you gotta shift. 
there comes a moment you gotta get out of the place you started at to truly experience what else is out there. You gotta shift. Church, you gotta make a shift. You can't stay stuck at the place you started. You weren't meant to. Yes, God stepped into your life, and yes, he showed you who he is, but he wants to show you more. There's more that he has. Don't stay in the place you started, because if we stay in the place we started, we'll either blow up or give up before we ever reach the place God has for us. Don't stay stuck where you started. There's more. How do we experience the more? How do we walk in abundance? How do we know Jesus deeply, intimately, fully? How do we know him like that? How did Abraham know him like that? It's easy. He walked up the mountain. How did Abraham get up the mountain? He walked. Here's what God did. God is faithful to pull us out of the muck and the mire. He pulls us out of the valley and he sets our feet on solid ground. He doesn't set us on the mountaintop. Abraham walked there. Abraham willingly walked up the mountain. How did he know God deeper? Because he wanted to. How did he know God like that? Because he made a choice to be consistent and say, oh God, I'm gonna keep walking. He didn't just get put there. He didn't just get placed there. Because here, faith without deeds is dead. God is faithful to pull us out from where we've been. That is all him. He does that for us. We cannot do that ourselves. But there's a point of faith. God isn't just gonna pick us up and move us. You gotta walk this out. Noah, you got a boat to build. Abraham, you got a mountain to walk up. Elijah, you got a people to speak to. Elisha, you got miracles to hear. There was a point where, yes, God did it for you, but you're at a point in a place now. It's your turn to walk it out. Walk it out, walk it out, walk it out. He walked up there. You see, because here's what God did. God stepped into Abraham's life with a prompting and a calling that really only served to do two things. It showed him where to go and it showed him what to give. Abraham walked because he knew where to go and he knew what to give. And this is the call that I believe God has for us. And we really overcomplicate it, but it's simple. Where does God want you to go? What does God want you to give? Because you see, if I could sum this whole thing up in a sentence, I would tell you this, that you're, you will always meet with God at the place where your obedience intersects with your offering. When you go where God's called you to go and when you give what God's called you to give, it opens up the door to see him like never before. That's what Abraham did. And what did Abraham give? Abraham didn't just give something. Abraham didn't just give Money, Abraham didn't just give time. Abraham gave everything that he was. Abraham gave it all. What did Abraham give? Everything. He didn't just give a moment in time. He gave his whole light and his whole heart and said, God, you can have it all. Isaac doesn't just represent something. Isaac represents everything. God, you can have it all. The last 40 years of his life going after God, he said, you can have it all. And when you give God your all in an attitude of you can have it, he is faithful to step in. He's faithful to step in. I want to close with this story. In Acts chapter 3, we see Peter and John go into the temple. They go into the temple one day, and they're going there to pray. 
And as they're walking into the temple to meet with God, they come across this lame person who's begging for money. And he's begging for silver and gold, and Peter looks at him as they're going in, and he says, he says, look at me. He says, I don't have any silver, and he says, I don't have any gold. But Peter follows up with what I do have. I'm gonna give it to you. What you do have, you always have something to give. Doesn't matter what the bank account or your schedule is like, there is always something in your ability that God has called you to give. And he says, what I do have, I'll give it to you. What would happen if you walked with what you do have? What would happen if you quit taking inventory of everything you don't have and started recognizing, God, this is what you have given me? And when Peter gives the man what he has, he looks at him and says, I don't have that. I don't have money. I don't have it. But what I do have, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, he says, get up and walk. He says, get up and walk. And here's what I want to show you, that as you give everything to God, it enables someone else to get up and walk. As you give, someone else is able to get up. As Abraham gave everything he had, Jesus would step in and Isaac would get up and walk and father a generation after God. As Peter gave, that lame man would get up and he would begin to praise God and he would begin to shout after what God done in his life. As you give, as you walk, someone else is able to get up and walk after what God has for them. This is the heart of revival. This is the heart of seeing Jesus move through our midst. And when the man got up and walked, it later says in Acts chapter four, the man was there for 40 years. What's 40 years represent? Generation. That man spent a generation of his life stuck in one place, but when Jesus stepped in, it didn't just heal a moment, it healed a whole generation. That church, as we give, as we give God everything, there's a generation that's gonna rise up who's gonna walk in the provision, who's gonna walk in the nearness to know God. It's such a fullness, so deeply, so intimately. If y'all would stand across your feet as we close, please be respectful of this time. It's not a moment to catch the restaurant. It's a moment to reveal our heart before God. that's you and you're in this place and part of this message resonates with you, you would say, you know what? I don't just want to live, God, I don't just want to live a life okay with what you have. I don't just want to live in a place that's okay. God, I want to experience everything. God, I want to experience your goodness, your faithfulness. I want to know your provision. If that's you and you're in this place, you say, you know what? I want to give God everything and walk where I've never gone before. If that's you and you're in this place, would you just raise a hand to heaven to say, God, you can have it all. God, you can have it all.